welcome back to Panthers on Politics, the podcast where we discuss relevant political news, information, and resources. It's our first episode for the new school year, and it's actually a special edition today because we have no guests. It's just the three hosts, and we're super excited. For this episode, we'll focus on political events that happened over the summer and just sort of catch up on important political news that you might have missed. So first, we'll do introductions. Um, I'm Ruby, I'm a junior, and I'm majoring in politics, philosophy, and psychology. Hi, everybody. I'm Josie. I am a junior, and I am studying um, political science and sustainability. Hi, I'm Claire. I'm a senior, and I'm studying economics and public professional writing. So the way that we organize this episode is roughly going from judicial branch to executive branch to legislative branch. So we'll start off with judicial and we have a few Supreme Court cases that we wanted to go over that we thought were pretty important. The first one we wanted to go over was 303 Creative LLC v. Alanis. So in June, the Supreme Court issued a decision. It was a 6-3 decision in which the conservatives on the court ruled that a Christian Colorado web designer named Lori Smith has a First Amendment right to refuse to design wedding websites for same-sex couples. And this was in spite of laws obviously barring discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. So essentially, the court reasoned that web designing was a creative expression, like speech, just like speech writing or painting or film directing. And essentially, the state cannot compel speech, so they can't compel that Smith would express support for LGBT couples. Justice Sotomayor, joined by Justice Kagan and Justice Jackson, dissented from this, and they called the decision a license to discriminate. They reasoned that businesses should not be able to use the First Amendment to undermine civil rights laws that bar discrimination in providing public services. So the root question in this case is sort of, what is the difference between a regular business service and a more creative or expressive design? And that's still a little bit fuzzy. All right, our second case that we wanted to talk about today was the affirmative action case that was ruled on on June 29th. Um, The United States Supreme Court ruled that race cannot be considered in college admissions, effectively limiting affirmative action within college admissions. Affirmative action is a set of policies and practices that are meant to counteract discrimination and institutional barriers that minority groups face. So in this case, the um, case was actually filed by a nonprofit group called Students for Fair Admissions. They claimed that the admissions offices at the University of North Carolina and Harvard Co- College are using um, affirmative action programs that violate the Equal Protection Clause, which bars race based discrimination. The ruling was six to three on the UNC case and six to two on the Harvard case because Justice Jackson recused herself from the vote. Justice John Roberts read the ruling and the majority opinion stating, many universities have for far too long concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, 
or lessons learned but the color of their skin. Justice Sonia Stoudemire published a dissenting opinion stating limiting use of race by colleges and universities has helped equalize educational opportunities for all students of every race and background and has improved racial diversity on college campuses. So what does this mean for universities now? They can still consider an applicant's race on a case-by-case basis, but it must be a testament to the applicant's character. So students are free to mention how their race has affected their life or how they faced or overcame discrimination in their life, but schools cannot make assumptions about one's application or lived experiences, nor give preferential treatment based on the race they've listed. The third and final case we are going to discuss is Biden versus Nebraska. The six plaintiffs were six different states, Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, South Carolina, and Iowa. They sued on the grounds that the Secretary of Education did not have the authority to cancel loans to the extent the plan called for. The decision would essentially uphold or strike down the student loan forgiveness plan. The court majority agreed with the plaintiffs that the Secretary of Education under the Education Act did not have the authority to cancel or reduce loans to the extent that the plan called for. In the majority opinion written by Chief Justice Roberts, the question here is not whether something should be done, it is who has the authority to do it. The court states that this plan is executive seizing the power of the legislator. The dissent was written by Justice Kagan, who argued that the court should not have heard this case at all because the case lacked standing. This meant that there wasn't a concrete or imminent harm done to any of the plaintiffs. She claimed that the harm was theoretical rather than rooted in fact. Kagan called the plaintiffs classical ideological plaintiffs. So now moving on to more executive branch news. First, we wanted to go into the fact that former President Donald Trump is currently facing four separate indictments. I'll just briefly go through and summarize each one. So first, there is the state indictment on business fraud charges in New York. And essentially, he's charged with 34 counts of falsifying business records in the first degree. This essentially involves agreeing to obscure a series of reimbursements that he paid to his former lawyer, who allegedly made a hush money payment to an adult film star in exchange for her silence about an alleged affair. The next indictment is a federal one on classified document charges in Florida. So this one alleged that he kept classified documents after leaving the White House. It's 40 counts total, and I won't go over all of them, but they do include unlawful retention of national defense information, conspiracy to obstruct justice, concealing, and altering or destroying or mutilating documents. The third one is a federal indictment in the 2020 election interference case. In this one, he was accused of participating in a scheme to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power after he lost the 2020 election. So in this case, he knowingly or allegedly knowingly spread lies that there was widespread fraud in the election. And this one's actually only four counts. It includes conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. And then the final one is a state indictment in the 2020 election interference case in Georgia. So in this one, 
Trump and 18 others are accused of coordinating an effort to basically thwart proper certification of the state's 2020 presidential election. And this one is 13 counts, and it includes conspiracy to commit forgery, false statements, and also, importantly, a violation of Georgia's RICO Act. This is the first time a current or former president in U.S. history has faced criminal charges. Meanwhile, this summer, Joe Biden gave several speeches on Bidenomics, a twin he curmed to represent the White House's economic agenda. Bidenomics has three key pillars. One, making smart public investments in America. Two, empowering and educating workers to grow the middle class. And three, promoting competition to lower costs and help entrepreneurs and small businesses thrive. When speaking on Bidenomics, the term middle-out economics often comes up. Middle-out economics focuses on economic growth in the middle class. The goal is to increase their disposable incomes and therefore their buying power. Moving on to Congress, which is notoriously not the busiest time. First of this year, the Senate passed bipartisan legislation that lifted the government's $31.4 trillion debt ceiling. If Congress had not been able to raise the debt ceiling, the Treasury Department threatened that the government would not be able to pay its bills by June 5th and then would be forced to shut down. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, has frozen mid-conference twice now. The first one happened on July 26th, and the second time on August 30th. The senator is 81 years old, and these recent actions have left many people concerned for his health. On September 12th, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy launched a formal inquiry into impeaching President Joe Biden. Nothing has come of this investigation yet. On September 13th, Utah Senator Mitt Romney announced that he won't be seeking re-election in 2024. Romney was the Republican nominee for president in 2012, an election he lost to incumbent Barack Obama. Additionally, he's known for being a critic of modern politics and former President Donald Trump. The Treasury Department once again estimates that the government would reach its debt limit by the end of September. But on Sunday the 17th, the House Republican Conference reached a tentative agreement to keep the government funded through October 31st. As of this recording, it is not yet passed but seems hopeful. That's all for today. Um, Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. We hope you learned something. And make sure to check out our Instagram at Panthers on Politics. We'll see you in the next episode.